Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 15 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius, Dean Ayers, joined as ever by my esteemed colleague, Mr. Liam Hap. Good evening to you, Liam. And good evening to you, Dean. And tonight, we put the uh, put the team together tonight for a very special but very sad reason because 24 hours ago, from the time we were recording this, uh, the news came through that the former WCW world champion and bona fide wrestling legend Vader, Big Van Vader, passed away at the age of just 63. Um, and the reason we wanted to do a, a podcast tonight was quite simply because if it hadn't been for Big Van Vader, there may not be a Because WCW podcast because certainly for me and I'm, I'm sure for you as well, Liam, Big Van Vader was one of the people, one of the reasons why the promotion called WCW really gripped us as wrestling fans. Yes, yeah, certainly. I, I know he's probably at the very top of your list, Dean. He's not quite as high on mine, but he's definitely a top fiver. I mean, I was always a sting guy, but if you look at that, if you, if you put together a Mount Rushmore of faces as to why a bunch of guys over here in the United Kingdom with only an hour a week on ITV, whether you're watching, we've always mentioned that glorious time period, whether you're watching Saturday afternoons or they had a late night version as well. You had that Mount Rushmore, you've probably got Sting, you've got Vader, you've got maybe maybe Lex Luger, you know, there was a few guys from that early 90s period that taught a lot of us that there was more than just WWE. And as much as most of us enjoyed WWE or WWF when it was when when we were younger uh, it was it was so and this is the reason we have the podcast it was so good to have an alternative and guys like Vader were instrumental in that alternative lasting as long as it did despite some of the things that WCW did behind the scenes yeah and i think you know Vader's style and the matches he had and the the fact that they looked so brutal was what set it apart from WWE WWE was the cartoony good guys bad guys almost like it felt like a bit of fun a performance whereas when you watch WCW with with Vader and, and with the likes of the Steiners and, and people like that as well and Doom and the squash matches they'd have and Sid but you know Vader was at the forefront of this it felt like it was a bit more harder it was a bit more hard edged you know it was a bit more real it, it was like more you'd be more comfortable with someone walking in on, on you watching WCW than walking in and watching WWE. Certainly, and, and the, the crazy thing is, is this was something that WCW and the NWA preceding it and Crockett Promotions and that they pride them. So that was their their hook, their line was to be that alternative to provide a more authentic. Uh, version of pro wrestling that obviously there's a very big audience who very much prefer that and this was very much the case 
before Big Van Vader even got there. And the scary thing is, he took it to a whole new level when he did arrive. I mean, to think about it, he was there in 1991, but only making appearances where he was literally just like making up numbers on pay-per-view cards, having a few decent matches here or there. We'll get into that in a second. But it was 1992 that once they got that clearance to use him a little bit more, we really learned what he could do over here. The news broke yesterday. It was, I actually found out from a, a text that came through from yourself that, that he'd passed away. And about a year and a half ago, he he announced on Twitter that he'd been told he had two years to live from congestive heart disease. So, and, and we knew he'd been he'd been in the wards. He'd had surgery recently. So, it wasn't it wasn't the biggest surprise news of all. We, we I guess as as long term wrestling fans, we are almost attuned to expect a, a, a wrestler death out of the blue and this certainly wasn't but obviously nonetheless very very sad and really um, 63 not a particularly old age although I kind of ironically I suppose it's reasonably old for a, a pro wrestler but um, yeah it was sad but not unexpected yeah it's a hell of an innings for someone who lived life at such a speed that Leon did as well you know he was he made no bones about his enjoyment of hard life on the road. He would drink. I believe, I believe he was able to pack in the alcohol at one point later in life. But you know, he he would booze. He would eat big. He was a big fella. Lived on the road, which is not you know, it's it's not a great life to be on the road constantly like wrestlers are. So he he had a hell of a ride, and it was a ride he was very much accustomed to because even in his his later days, all he wanted to do was to be going out there taking bumps doing shows I think he even made a comment at one point that he, he hoped he died in the ring almost uh, Mizawa style so oh, wow. this this was his life and uh, it's fair to say he had a very good innings it's funny you say about what wrestling fans are acclimatised to another thing we're very much used to is wrestlers being very liberal with the truth with, with their wrestling audience the crazy thing is, I remember it quite well at the time, obviously things are different now, but when, when Vader announced that he w he was told he may have two years to live, it was very hard for people to take it seriously. If I remember correctly, like a lot of wrestling fans were... They, they, they weren't too pleased with Vader at the time because he was very critical of the Will Ospreys and that. And obviously that, that led to a, what ended up being, I believe, my only Vader live experience was that incredible night of your call a couple of summers ago where he came over and wrestled Will Ospreay, which was just, you know, it's crazy how a match like that can just draw just by being made with a little bit of friction on social media. But at the time, people were, is this for real? Um... Purely because it has to be said, purely because that is that is the the world we are we have been tuned to, where we are very rarely told the truth by oh. wrestlers. Uh, as it turns out, he did, unfortunately, he didn't make it to that two-year mark. But by by the sounds of things, he very much enjoyed those last couple of years that he did have, and and I'm so glad I got to see him live in that match. It was an incredible uh, match. I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. Yeah, I mean, my I saw Vader wrestle live three times, all in London. We'll we'll come to them later on because that was like, you know him at his absolute peak in in my eyes. But I mean that that match with Will Ospreay, I've said I've said previously, I think um, that 
you know, I tip my hat to Andy Gordon, the promoter of Rev Pro, because that was absolute genius matchmaking. That was, you know, of the moment. And I remember, you know, the, the match was signed for several months in advance. So by the time, by the time the match came around, the the heat had dissipated, but the ticket sales, you know, the tickets had already been bought. And then, um, from watching uh, watching it back, absolute nuclear heat. I mean, I presume it was very much like that live as well. It was. The atmosphere was absolutely incredible. And we, and we mentioned about how Vader makes wrestling real. And while that is very much a case, one thing I've always believed with wrestling, because I, I wouldn't consider myself a uh, full Jim Cornette on the scale of wanting a, a, almost a magic circle within the industry and everyone pretending it's real or even thinking it's real. I like the empowerment of the fans to know what they're getting getting themselves in for. You know, we we live in that day and age. But this this match was great proof that even when everyone knows the reality of a situation, if they like that situation, they will suspend their disbelief. As you said, it was from the moment they decided to do business, it was hard to think that they were they were really at each other's throats in a squabble. But it was something, not just because of a, of a spat and a disagreement on Twitter, but because of just the, the generations colliding, the different divisions yeah. colliding. There were so many philosophical differences that exist even after the two kiss and make up in real life that just bring people... This is what the theatre of wrestling was all about. And, yeah, as a result, the atmosphere very much retained. People were buzzing for this. Because you know, the the fact is is if if they didn't have a disagreement on Twitter and the promoter just c- came out of the blue and announced right we we have him Will Spray versus Vader in the main event, uh, I think that show the sold that anyway because it's such an intriguing matchup and it was just great to even even long after his prime it was great to see Vader just going out there and doing things like this. And you know the only the only thing that Will Ospreay and Vader have in common is that they're both professional wrestlers or they were both professional wrestlers hmm. that was it as other you know different nationalities different generations different weight divisions as as such um but the fact that you know you're able to get that crowd to suspend their disbelief and I, you know i know the rev pro crowd i know the york hall crowd it is made up essentially of what we would have called in back in the day smart fans or internet fans whatever you know but people who are very much aware of what the what the deal is you know they know there's no santa claus but at the same time mark of a true pro is someone who can envelop the fans in that atmosphere and make them suspend disbelief and and that is what vader did and that is to me absolute proof if proof was ever needed that the man was a absolutely top class pro wrestler yeah and uh, as I touched upon my, my whole stance on it is, is if you know if a, if a wrestler shows good skill if they're able to make someone think it's real you know hats off to them but for me the mark of a, a truly great wrestler is someone who can make a fan want to think it's real because yeah. it's you know we, we have to come to terms with the day and the age where you know people are entitled not to feel like they're having the wall pulled over their eyes but if you can make someone want to come in and that's that's the beauty of of the the magic industry and other such uh situations even when you think about watching a film or soap opera people know it's not real but they go in there and they just throw themselves head first because 
they are buying what these people are selling and that was the great thing about Vader he proved in his prime obviously a lot a lot of us were very young and well we were genuinely scared by the visual of him and the yes. way he laid into his opponents and I'm sure we're going to detail that later but the fact that in his later years he was able to have some of these matches on the independent circuit where people were you know based off the work he'd put in in the decades before and based off you know agreeing to 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 expand his repertoire even like in his early 60s because of that he he took it to a whole new level and that that made me regardless of all the things that were discussed over who won that match no one in that building that night cared who won the match they were all winners it was great it, you know they had Pete Dunne involved it led to an actual feud with two guys who showed up more often it, you know, it was a financial success it was a it, everybody was talking about it that for me was what pro wrestling was all about and also it's uh, in in a way with the benefit of hindsight it's quite fitting that you know one of his, his last matches was in Europe because you know some of his his first matches are in Europe. I mean he um he started out in the AWA. I mean he'd come he'd come from NFL. He played for the Los Angeles Rams and then was trained by Brad Reingens and started out in the AWA as I said as uh, baby bull Leon White. That became Bull Power. But then um using that Bull Power name he went over to, to Europe to Otto Vance's CWA, the Catch Wrestling Association. And, um, you know, within a year, pretty quickly, he won the their version of the World Championship, which he beat Otto Vance for. Um, and we, we've mentioned this before, I think, that the, the tournaments that they were doing in Germany and Austria at that point, like places like Bremen and Hanover, you would basically be wrestling in the same venue. They would have a, a tent set up. And you'd be wrestling in that same venue for 20, 30 days. And, you know, quite often the same fans would come up, come in day after day. So you had to expand your repertoire. You couldn't get away with the same stuff night in, night out, because people would see through you and, and would react negatively to you. So that was a, a great learning experience. And I think where we've, we've seen how you know, Vader would expand his repertoire of moves over, over the course of time in WCW, I think, you know, that stemmed from... Um, from the CWA, but yeah, he won their world title on more than one occasion um, against, as you know, a fellow super heavyweight in Otto Vance. Then, of course, he went to New Japan Pro Wrestling, where they had this character called Big Van Vader, based on um, Japanese folklore, I believe. And and obviously, the story is well known that originally this was meant to be. Uh, Jim Helwig, who instead signed for the WWF as the Ultimate Warrior, and um, and the uh, the role went to Leon White instead. Yeah, it's it's funny how you bring those two aspects of his career up one after the other. In that, I was going to say about the whole European aspect of his learning curve when you think about wrestling styles, and there's not really much of a wrestling style one can learn that adds such a degree of realism than the European style. Uh, every, every, everything from the round system to the use of, you know, forearms, European uppercuts, very, very much based in, in, in the shoot style. And if you think of all the times 
wrestling companies have seen dollar signs or pound signs or whatever when they've looked at a big intimidating physical specimen because by you know we, we know that Leon White was not the first guy to have that look about him but you think of the guys who've had that menacing look and they've gone in the ring and it's all fallen to shit because they can't carry themselves you know, <laughs> the list is endless but for me going to Europe first was absolutely pivotal to what we would then see for the first time as as kids slash teens in WCW where the guy scared the crap out of you when he walked down to the ring and then he scared you even more when the bell rung Uh, and it all but you know he said how many times have we heard people lament the lack of this in modern wrestling I suppose it's coming back a little bit now in that wrestlers do need that ability to travel the world and gain different like levels of of expertise in their style before they're ready to go out on TV and really impress a global audience and Going to Europe and then going to New Japan is a fantastic way to get started, and I think it's very important in the in the process, in the making of Big Van Vader as we as we came to know him. And if you think about it, when you said about Jim Helwig, can you imagine what would have happened if that cartoonish blow up within thirty seconds, throw a couple of lame clotheslines guy attempted to go to Japan and pull this office. It's almost a mirror universe situation. But that proves my point even more so I reckon. Definitely. Definitely absolutely and yeah, those some of the things he did, like those punches in the corner that where he looked like he was kind of just cuffing people round the head. And it just it just looked brutal. I don't know how or how or if um, they connected or how it felt to take them. But Sometimes they did. Uh, we've heard the stories. Sometimes they really did. Another thing I really liked was not enough wrestlers throw body punches, but Vader threw them and they looked stiff. That's the thing. Another thing about wrestling that could be a bit cartoonish would be that you know, wrestlers would throw about 10 punches to the head within 30 seconds. I'm like, why aren't you out cold? But Vader looked like he was truly working someone over. Vader always looked like he was hurting someone the way you would if you were in a fight and you had the skills. Uh, so yeah, some some of those head punches were brutal, and we've heard wrestlers say, "Yeah, they they caught me more than once." But those body shots as well looked like there was a few internal injuries at times. <laughs> yeah, um, in New Japan, he pretty yeah he beat. He beat Antonio Inoki in his first match in New Japan. I mean, that never happens. Um, and, you know, the outfit looked very different. Um, our friend um, Alan Cheapshot on Twitter has actually um, um, he's, uh, he's, he's posted a picture that we've, uh, we've retweeted on the Because WCW um, account of, of the full bodysuit and just plain black mask that, that, that Vader had. At the time, looked totally different. But you know, the, again, the fact that the fact that Antonio Inoki was willing to put him over, which which never happened, if you know anything about Antonio Inoki, shows the the the, the potential that they knew this man had and the respect that he was held in. You know, and you, you, generally speaking, as a as a, a wrestler, especially as a, a foreign wrestler in New Japan, you start at the bottom and you work your way up rather than starting right at the top. And, you know, he yeah, he won the, the IWGP um, champion. He was the first 
foreigner, the gay, gaging as they call them there, the first foreigners to hold that title. And that, uh, especially that at the, at the time, you know, we're talking and we're talking about, you know, 1989. That was a huge deal because, you know, it just, it literally didn't happen. And when you think about the foreigners who've held that title, there's, there's very few, even now, um, that, that have held that that belt is generally you know kept for the for the japanese so that again shows you the the level of um of respect he's held in and over there you know back in in 1990 one of i think it is still one of the most infamous and brutal matches of all time if i just say to you liam vader versus stan hansen from 1990 yep oh man and it in keeping with the whole spirit this week of everybody sharing um, GIFs and video clips and, and whatnot of Vader's best moments, I have seen the GIF all over this. It's a match after I saw it, I said myself, I'm never going to watch that match again because the, the moment in particular is gruesome. So, of course, that moment in particular is being splashed all over Twitter in GIF form. Um, if you are that way inclined, have a look. But I, I, as you mentioned, he... It's it's one of the stiffer, more gruesome matches, and 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 that moment in particular, obviously he uh, he breaks his orbital bone, I believe, and the end result yep. of that is his eye comes out of the socket, and he basically pushes it back in so the eyelid keeps it in place and finishes the match. And for the first time in his career, I believe he unmasks voluntarily because he has to push his eyeball back in. Which I mean, you think the mask might hold it in place, but hey, but yeah, the, maybe after it was uh, <laughs> popped back in yeah, place. I think it was probably the, the swelling in that. But but the fact that he carried on the match, you're like, holy hell, this this is insane. This, I mean, the the reason that happened, from all accounts, is that Stan Hansen, uh, without his um, glasses on was horrendously short-sighted and his kind of depth perception was off and he just waffled him a bit harder than he meant to because Vader was closer than he thought. Blind um, as a bat is what most wrestlers tend to say about him. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Basically, if you if you were taking a lariat that night, you would uh, you'd say a prayer beforehand and hope that he was a, a bit friendly in his accuracy. Yes. But I mean, just by the way, just looking down the list of people who've won, foreigners who've won the IWGP title, you've got Vader, you've got Salman Hashimikov from the Soviet Union, both of them in 89. Then it goes all the way to Scott Norton in 1998, and again in 2001. You've then got Bob Sapp for a few months in 2004. You've got Brock Lesnar in 2005, um, who basically didn't really defend about after he won it. Um, that sounds and, familiar. Yeah, I know. <laughs> History repeats itself. They had AJ Styles having two reigns, 2014, 2015. And now, of course, you've got um, Kenny Omega. So, you know, out of 66 title reigns, you're looking at, what, six that have been held by foreigners. So it's a tiny, tiny percentage. Yeah, and it's, um, wor- it's worth noting, um, you know, after this happened, it, it was a shocking result to beat Inoki so soon uh but if, if if you want to know the sort of impact that can make for this is one for the uh wins and losses don't matter brigade vader's name on the marquee automatically meant improved business in japan for the next 12 years 
So yeah. if you know that is how, and so as much as much as Inoki had a tendency to try and make himself look the best at all times, it it really was a sign of how how invested he was in the big fan Vader brainchild to try and get going right from that. And as a result, it was great business. I'm sure uh, it was the you know the 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 whole idea of the the unstoppable force gaijin in Japan is a very yeah, it came before Vader and it comes on after, but I really think Big Fan Vader probably helped a lot of foreign wrestlers get business there because of how successful the concept was with him in particular. Well, you look down that list of foreign wrestlers who've held the belt, and until recently with AJ and then with, with Kenny Omega, you're talking about Bob Sapp, Brock Lesnar, Scott Norton, all cut from similar molds of monstrous foreigners so yeah he he laid the path for those people in in new japan so um in 1990 actually talking about that, that year that was the first time that vader made uh, an appearance in wcw um which was probably would have been the first time i saw him although it wouldn't it wouldn't have been in 1990 it must have been a few years later but i got it on tape i remember the great american bash 1990 and he absolutely squashed one of the best people to absolutely squash because no you know few people took a a, a heel beating better than the z-man tom zenk um that's his wrestling legacy, wasn't it? Like <laughs> to it, think it he got he he got Rick Rude off to a flying start. Big fan yep. Vader. It was they had so you know com- wrestling companies had big high plans for Tom Zink at certain points, but in the end, that was ultimately his biggest legacy was uh, yeah. getting people into the door in emphatic fashion. And um and he and and he came out wearing this unbelievable smoke spewing massive headpiece. Uh, with light up eyes uh, that he just took off and made some hand signals and this this jets of smoke or steam came out. I did read actually somewhere online, it might have been on Reddit, but somewhere, and I'm sure if you look it up on Google, you can find it. The guy who actually was operating the remote control for that, who you can see at the side of the ramp just before he ducks out of, of, of camera shot. Uh, at the Great American Bash in 1990, there's a great story about him, ta- you know, transporting this this headpiece to to the venue. Um, and but again, what uh, what a visual because you had you know you, I'd I'd never seen something like that before anyway. This this headpiece and then this enormous guy doing these like stand up vertical splashes, which I'd never seen before like a running body check and then a big splash to finish the match anyway and just to absolutely destroy someone in two minutes and oh my god who is this man he's amazing and then we we don't really see him again because um he 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 doesn't show up for another seven months where he has a rematch with stan hansen which is a double dq because of uh, politics of all japan and new japan um and and then his next appearance is another eight months down the line where he's in Halloween Havoc '91. Oh yes, I genuinely forgot he was actually involved in this match. And this this is one for a future because WCW episode surely Halloween Havoc '91 with the Chamber of Horrors awful Chamber of Horrors match which opened the show up. Um, but we will forget about that because. Um, he he then you know he was he was basically uh, he was going around the world 
not quite freelancing, but you know, in the uh, this this time in the early nineties, the the guy was. Bear this in mind. You know, imagine this happening nowadays, even on an independent scene. The man held three world titles simultaneously, one in um, Mexico for the UWA, one in Europe, the CWA, and one in Japan, the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. It was phenomenal. You know, This man was traveling all over the world, headlining wherever he went, within a very short time of, of debuting, really. Yeah, and then only now in 2018, we've had Austin Aries, who post-WWE releases, gone round and collected several independent uh, heavyweight championships, as we've mentioned in a few previous episodes, as a, as a, as a friend of the podcast and an IPW alumni. Yeah, and that's that's taken thirty years. There's thirty year gap between those two events. So, you know, that shows how, how rare this is. So um so yeah, basically Vader um Vader then once you know, once his contract with New Japan was over in nineteen ninety two he became a full timer in WCW and now he's now he's uh there full time, they can start working with him properly. Um and he's put with Harley Race as his manager which was a great move, although I always didn't, I never liked the way Harley Race was forever getting bumped. I thought that they did that too often, but that's by the by. Harley Race was a great mouthpiece for Vader. It was probably in Race's contract, to be fair. He did love it. He loved getting involved, even after he retired. I think we said this in the uh, Spring Stampede 94 episode, I believe. Uh, Race loves just taking a few extra bumps and being right in the thick of it. Uh, so fair play, but yeah, as as far as being his actual manager, that was one probably my first exposure to Vader was on that aforementioned ITV hour on a Saturday, and very you know they wouldn't always have a Vader match on there, you know like with a lot of hour long weekly shows, the the actual participating in ring talent would rotate, but they'd all because he was a WCW champion like pretty much through all of nineteen ninety three. He would very often have a segment, and that segment would feature Vader standing there, almost taking up the whole screen, despite yes. standing in the background, while Race stands in front of him and just trash talks as only Harley Race can, because he was such a he was such a direct, belligerent, threatening man when he spoke. Very old school. In my man's gonna break your arms. He's gonna he's gonna destroy you. You're gonna quit wrestling. Yeah, and it was it always sat with me. That was my first, and that's why I was always fond of the of the race Vader duo as well. But yeah, I think for me, just as important as as getting races as manager in '92 was the fact that around when he started, the WCW title changed hands from Lex Luger to Sting. And in Sting, you had a guy who, yeah, there was a little bit of disappointment when he first won the belt off Ric Flair. But given WCW standing as clearly second best behind WWE, this was a guy, you know, this is their best shot at a franchise babyface. And that's exactly what Sting was. And the way he could wrestle as a plucky underdog made him and Vader just perfect for each other and Absolutely, for yeah. yeah and for for Vader to start with that full time obviously you know the way he was used sparingly to, for for them to chuck him in things like the chamber of horrors just to just to use him when they had him but 
as soon as he became full-time, it was obvious that WCW then realised what they had and what they could do with what they had. And they didn't waste any time, did they, Dean? No time at all, because within, you know, within months of arriving, he's he's getting a shot at the World Heavyweight title. Um, and, and, yeah, you're talking about the promos and, and, and how, yeah, quite, as you say, quite rightly, he took up the whole screen. But it wasn't just the, the fact that he took up so much space because he was so wide. While you've got Harley Race talking like he talks in that gruff, bellowing, threatening way, you've got this massive man just growling making these guttural sounds in the background and again as we've said looking absolutely terrifying and that's what you want in a promo you know you might and and if you're watching that and i I always always think you know if especially when things are on on like you know national tv like it was on in in itv if you are a non-wrestling fan who is just flicking channels and has found that you might look at this big guy with a funny mask on his face and wonder what's going on and think it looks a bit unbelievable but then as soon as that bell rings my goodness you, you know you're you're you can't help but watch the carnage unfold because he made it look so real you know in some cases it was quite real i mean we know that sting got a, a pair of cracked ribs and a ruptured spleen there's obviously um joe thurman the the pretty prelim guy who, who broke his back without was mainly from from landing wrong in a power bomb and um nikita koloff's up his last match was against vader after getting injuries so yeah you you knew you were in a, in a match with with vader but that that feud with sting yeah, you look through the, the era that we grew up in of the classic feuds, and you've got things like, if you think about feuds like Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, Sting v. Vader, Bret Hart and Steve Austin, um, even Austin and The Rock, it's two characters that are the absolute polar opposite of one another. And that's why they bring out the best in each other, because... There's no way that you can cheer for both. There's no, you know, when, when we've seen, you think about like this year's WrestleMania where you had AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura and the crowd were divided. In, in a way, it kind of it, it took something away from the match. That you are either a Sting fan or you're a Vader fan. There is no in between. You know, for, for me, um, bearing in mind that I was a smart ass teenager cheering the heels at this time anyway. You know, I was a, a card-carrying Vader fan club member. Um, and, you know, he, when he finally um, finally won the the title in the, um, the Great American Bash in 92, not a great show, but, you know, he, a great match. Um, you know, it was a real big deal. And I, I always remember something. Um I used to subscribe to WCW magazine at the time. And again, this shows how I obviously preferred one to the other because I didn't subscribe to WWF magazine. I never, never really read it. But for some reason, I, I loved WCW magazine, maybe because we didn't see as much of it. I don't know. But I always remember at the, I believe it would have been the end of 92. They had, um, they had something where you could write in and, and vote for like your wrestler of the year or, or, or some kind of year end thing. 
And I just remember um, writing something along the lines of my wrestler of the year was Big Van Vader. Bear in mind, I'm a 15, 16-year-old kid at this point in time. Um, my wrestler of the year is Big Van Vader because he ended the myth of Sting at the Great American Bash were my words. And that actually made it into the magazine. And I was chuffed to bits. And, and so if anyone, if anyone listening to this has somehow got a copy of a WCW magazine from 92, late 92, early 93, you'll find, you'll find it in there somewhere. The We're going to have to track this down now, aren't we? We are. We definitely <laughs> are. The very, the very next magazine issue, they have an interview with Vader. And across the top, I, I always remember, I wish I, I, I wish I'd kept these. I don't know where they've gone. They're so, uh, they, may, they may still be buried somewhere in my parents' house. I don't know. I'll have to try and track them down. But I remember there was a big photo of Vader. And across the top of the page in big lettering, you know when they always have like a one particular quote that they, they highlight? And it said, it will be my pleasure or it was my pleasure to destroy the myth of Sting. <laughs> and I remember thinking, holy shit. Vader, now it might, he may not have said this, this might just be a magazine editor, but as, a, as I said again, bear in mind I'm a 15, 16 year old kid at this time, I'm just thinking, holy shit, Big Van Vader has read my comment that got into the magazine and has liked it so much that he has quoted it in his interview, and from that point on, do you know what, Big Van Vader could have burnt my house down after that and I probably still would have cheered him, um, <laughs> it always just sticks in my mind that. Um, it was yeah, it, it was great, and you know he he won, so he won the title. He then lost it in that memorable match with um, with Ron Simmons, um, and you know the the reaction that Ron Simmons got when he won the title, and people like jumping up and down in the air, crying, hugging. It was an amazing, amazing moment. But it takes two to tango. And, and, you know, Vader played his part to perfection in losing the title and, and making that match look like a, a believable shock. Well, if you think about it, Dean, the, the proof was in the pudding just a few months later when the Ron Simmons title reign did not live up to the Ron Simmons title capture moment. And the belt very quickly found its way back to Vader, who then, yes. aside from those London title switches that I know you can't wait to speak about, um, pretty much held the title for a year. So that is a testament, much similar to how you know we had, we saw Bret Hart come over here and do an incredible tour, and obviously one of the topics that come up was his loss at Wembley to the British Bulldog and how losing that match pretty much earmarked him for at least one world title reign and in the end he got five. It just goes to show what sort of stock good wrestlers get when they can produce such great moments even when they're the ones who are being defeated. Uh, I just want to go back to the whole talk about his, his look and that. If you think about a couple of episodes ago when we had Mike Quackenbush on and... Quack, I think every, everyone who knows Quack, the wrestler, knows 
he's a big fan of Jushin Thunder Liger, Liger's his idol, and he explained to us how Liger got him into WCW in particular, and he was talking about the, the, the look, the costume, how he was like a real life superhero almost, and all of that was very much true, but if you think about it, if that's true for Liger, then think of Vader, especially when he still had the the New Japan Big Van Vader attributes, the the, the smoking headgear, the the whole you know the the scarier version of the mask. When he had all that going for him, imagine that whole seeing a superhero moment. Only that superhero is five times bigger and is pretty much assaulting everyone within arm's reach of him. And you get that feeling he'd probably do the same to you if you bumped into him down the street. Uh, that is what Vader had. That was fantastic. And it just goes to show just how larger than life wrestling is when done right. And that's why we love it. Absolutely. It's like, yeah, you, like we've said before, everything, you've got to be larger than life to be to be memorable. Yeah. Um, so so then we move on to the the year the best year 1993 i mean we put out on on twitter you know we're asking for um for people's you know memorable moments for for vader and um one thing that stands out to me here is uh dave doyle the uh mma journalist who hopefully we'll have we'll have on a, a future show we're trying to get dave on board but um he basically just said pretty much the entire year of 1993 and, and i think that is absolutely spot on that was that was Vader's marquee year. Yeah, well, it was, and yet also when he when Dave says pretty much the entire year nine ninety three, you know what, Dave, if you're listening, I have to ask you: Does that include the White Castle Fear promos? Does that include the Beach Blast mini movie? Uh, that's one thing I was looking forward to discussing about ninety three. Even though ninety three was the year of Vader, uh, it was also a year where he kind of, in a roundabout way, he proved he was one of the top men in the world at wrestling by surviving some of I mean we've got to remember as good as Vader was in 93 WCW in general in 93 was an absolute shower of shit and we have we covered a 93 pay for you I don't don't think we have have. so in this case we're saving some of the worst for last and when we cover 93 we'll get down to the bare bones of just how bad that company was Vader stood head and shoulders above it but it's worth remembering he survived mini movies and well I think there was a White Castle mini movie as well basically it was a year of a stupid mini movie and I suppose for what we were saying about being a larger than life intimidating cartoon character I suppose that helped get him through but you know he he did everything from from realistic wrestling matches to cartoonish skits that allegedly will drum up interest in a match but thankfully, especially I think of Super Bowl '93, which was a nice one. Your favourite pay-per-views in that match. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I don't think there's a Sting Vader match I don't like. But that strap match is probably at the top of the list. Yeah, two two things I think to say to say on that. Number one is like we've been talking about when we've been looking at pay-per-views from sort of '97, '98 time on this show. We've talked about how the undercard was fantastic and the main event sucked. 1993 WCW, with a few exceptions, like things like the Hollywood Blondes or Ricky Steamboat, the undercard sucks, but the main events were tremendous and were brutal because Vader was always in them because he was the world champion for most of that year. And, yeah, the the White Castle of Fear and the movie, which, to be honest, 
I have vague recollections of seeing Vader in a helicopter, but that's about it because it's it's wiped from my memory because I just fondly remember that Super Bowl three main event strap match being absolutely brutal. I think I remember Vader bleeding from the ear, which anyone who's ever bled from the ear knows it it gushes like a faucet. It and and Sting with welts on his back from the strap and it it was brutal and and I think you know when I'm when I'm commentating and when I've been on the few occasions I've I've booked one of the things I've always always said is that the most important thing in a wrestling company hands down is the world title everyone should want to be the world champion the world champion should want to keep hold of their belt however you know, by any, any means necessary and and the challenger should want to win you know, have that same desire to win and i think growing up watching the level of brutality in those main event world title matches is where that comes from that that was the time that that belief as a as a wrestling philosophy was was instilled in my head yeah not only that but you know, as much as I was the guy who started off by making fun of the mini movies, and you know, there's a lot of fun to be made of the the whole White Castle of fear in America. They make a lot of like fast food chain references. It's a, there, there was a lot of goofiness to it. But if I'm to go a little bit university student writing a a paper for a moment, if the the, the whole thing I loved about rewatches of that match is, you know, if you, you think of the the Sting feud. Rivalry began as the monster heel versus the resilient babyface, and as they continued to have matches, and and in this instance, Sting's chasing to get the title back. The whole aspect of, of Vader inviting him into, you know, on one level it sounds daft, his White Castle fear, but if you think on a deeper level, the whole just inviting Sting to come into his world of of brutal. Violence, and this is the match where we see that side from Sting as well as Vader. So the the whole idea being that Sting's accepted Vader's invitation to 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 really find that darker, more aggressive side of himself, and it results in two people kicking the ever loving shit out of each other in a in in in, in a gloriously manly way. But um, yes. but but I loved that about it. Like as as goof as it was on the outer shell of it, and as much as they were hoping that was going to make them the WWF, and it really really didn't. On a on on a deeper level. The, the the story and the feud between these two because as we established at the start you know this is we're paying tribute to Vader primarily you are very much on the on the Vader bandwagon always have been I was more of a sting guy but seeing these two guys come together for this feud it was it was so defining in their legacies and what we remember both of them for and yeah did this it's, it's for me it's tied between that that first pay-per-view match the title change at Bash ninety two and this match, so it doesn't get any better, and it never it never got bad between them, but it doesn't get any better between those two. No, but you know that goes back to what I was saying. You were you were you know Team Sting, I was Team Team Vader. You cheered one or the other. The, there was yeah nobody nobody liked them both because they were such polar opposites. And I was eight, so <laughs> <laughs> and you were eight, yes. Um, but then we move move in uh, we move into as I said nineteen ninety three and. Um, while he's facing Sting, uh, WCW signs David Boy Smith, the British Bulldog. Uh, 
and this means that it's a great opportunity for WCW to come back to the UK. They came over to the UK once in 1991. I think they did like a couple of shows in London at the Olympia. I didn't make it to that. And so uh, on the 11th of March, 1993, WCW held a, a tour called The Real Event. Um, and one of the stop-offs was, as I said, on, November, on, on March the 11th, 93, was at Wembley Arena in London. Um, and I always remember I managed to get permission from my teacher, who knew how much I loved wrestling, um, to leave school a little bit early that day to get to Wembley on time. Um, and um, his name, he, he, obviously he's not going to be listening, but his name was Mr. Pope. And I always, I always, I'm always thankful to him for that because um, basically to cut a long story, I mean, we saw a fantastic event. Um, I mean, I'm just looking down the, 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 the matches here. We, there was a, a great um, brawl between Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. And that was the first time I'd ever seen anyone bleed on a wrestling show before. Um, we had Max Payne and Cactus Jack, Dave Boy Smith and Rick Rude. But then we had the main event, which was Van Big Van Vader defending the title against Sting. And even in 1993, I knew the rules that titles didn't change hands at house shows. So, of course, the WCW World title changed hands on the house show. Uh, Vader comes off the top rope um, to go for, I don't know if it's a splash or a, an axe handle, Sting catches him, twists him round into a power slam, the referee counts one, two, three, and me and my mate, who are both avid Vader fans, are absolutely stunned. We are standing there with our mouths, our jaws on the ground. What have we just seen? How has this happened? Sting has beaten Vader. And then a little while later, we realize we've just seen the WCW World Championship change hands. Um, and I remember going back to school the next day and my teacher saying, how was it? And I said, oh, my God, the world title change hands. That never happens. You don't understand how big a deal this is. Um, I think five or six days later, the last leg of the tour in, in Dublin, in Ireland, uh, Vader retain, regains the belt from Sting and, and they go back to the US with the, the status quo intact. But um, yeah, it wasn't as good a match as the um, as the the pay per view matches. You wouldn't you wouldn't expect them to be, but it was just my goodness me, what an occasion! But also for me as a fan, and this this is what what you'd get that that and the music that we've we've talked about. I think we we covered this music on a previous episode as well. But the the music and just seeing the guy um, close up. Um, it, it's just, it was just it was awe inspiring because you you realised how big he was when you saw him in the flesh the 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 music the atmosphere it just conjured up this this amazing atmosphere and you know like I said if you if you're a a, a real true pro can just envelop people in this environment and atmosphere that they create and. Yeah, you know, and, and I had first-hand experience, as as you did with the Will Ospreay match, of you know first-hand experience of this atmosphere that Vader could create. Yes, yeah, it's, it's brilliant that we did. Although very two very different stages of his career, it's brilliant that we did. At least on the one occasion, though, you had a few more get that experience because that, that's where you you truly realise everything Vader brought to the table. And you mentioned David Boy Smith. It's funny because that would be his his, his next thing. 
after that tour and and when, when they get back to as you said to status quo and they did have that long reign next up was David Boy Smith and I just remember because you got to remember at this time as I said I was eight at this time and although people had hopped back and forth between WCW and the WF it wasn't quite as frequent as it got during the Monday Night Wars yeah. and younger well, when, when you don't have as many big name experience of it the sight of a major start and obviously for for British fans David Boy Smith is up there maybe only for us but David Boy Smith is up there with a Hulk Hogan Warrior because of that yeah. and obviously the, the, the money they made whenever they toured England showed that uh, so to see him just suddenly not knowing what the situation was because I didn't have a clue about these things why he was fired what happened behind the scenes and suddenly I see him show up after a few months of thinking well, what's happened to the British Bulldog why is he not the, yeah. the Royal Rumble WrestleMania 9 and there's a David, there's the British Bulldog there's David Westsmith and once I got my head around that obviously the next thing is oh my god he's going to wrestle Vader because every everything you have in the whole Sting Vader dynamic, obviously Sting is a, a you know a better better top guy, a better hero, a better babyface in most aspects. But to a British fan, David Boy Smith automatically jumps to the top of that pile as the British guy. So straight away you've got that all over again. And for us, at the very least, Vader has another hero to uh, to to destroy the myth of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, because. Yeah, that that real event tour. I was actually just before we went on, we went, went on air with this. I was just looking online, and someone had actually scanned the the entire map, the entire program. Um, and Sting and the British Bulldog were basically billed side by side as the two top attractions. Quite um, right. That was the, the level that you know Dave Boy's at. And bear in mind, this was like what uh, six months after he headlined Wembley Stadium at SummerSlam. Yeah. This, you know, and they had, you know, there was eleven and a half thousand people at Wembley Arena, and until the Monday Night Wars, the big boom when they filled things like the Georgia Dome, that show at Wembley Arena was WCW's biggest ever gate anywhere in the world. You know, they had they had huge because they didn't have that. You know, the the crowds they played in front of in in the United States were you know in the in sort of four figures and this was five figures it was it was huge but one one person that he did face as well before david boy smith and it would be it would be wrong of us to to admit this um was cactus jack um and i don't know if you saw but mick foley posted a, a a really nice tribute to to vader um on his facebook page um this week where essentially he was he was saying that you know cactus jack was this demonic psychotic heel and they wanted him to turn a face and and he's thinking how the hell is anyone going to have sympathy with with cactus jack as a baby face it's never going to work enter vader and enter mick foley's propensity for um brutalization often self-inflicted and we had a couple of matches between vader and cactus jack where vader just Beats the absolute crap out of uh, Cactus Jack, breaking his nose, giving him 27 stitches to the face. And then there's a rematch where he power bombs him on the concrete floor where he's taken the mats off. And again, you're looking at that thinking, oh, it'll be a backdrop. They never actually get power bombed. Oh, shit, he's power bombed him. And, and Cactus Jack's kind of lying at a very strange angle. And um, admittedly, that then led to the awful 
Cactus Jack Amnesia angle, I believe. But um, they they would then come back to face each other at Halloween Havoc, which we'll, we'll come to in a, in a little while. But um, again, that was something else that just yeah, you wouldn't see that in the WWF. You would not see that level of brutality. There was a harder edge to WCW because of Vader, and and as a, a teenager, that drew me to WCW. Yeah, and that feud with Cactus Jack was brutal, and those matches are. Definitely something we'd implore anyone to track down on the network. But not only that, but I, I would definitely encourage maybe starting with the, I think it's a clash of the champions at the top of 93 where Cactus Jack turns babyface and the whole elements with Vader and Paul and Dorf and Harley race. I loved all that stuff. It was a great feud. And it was, it was interesting, even though, yeah, we have to kind of blank out of our mind that the interim was indeed the Lost in Cleveland skits. I, I, it was kind of cool how they did, they, you know, the feud started and then they came back to it, and it was a, it was an on and off thing that never really. There was even a moment I think where they, they were forced to team together in a in the Battle Bowl that year, ninety three. So it was it was much like the Sting thing. It was an on and off thing. It, it, it was a, it was an epic rivalry that never really went away, even when the main crux of their business, and I suppose you'd say that be the. Uh, the spin the wheel make the deal match at Havoc 93 the Texas death match yeah uh, even when that was over they were still very much etched in your mind as rivals and in this instance they, they, they weren't necessarily polar opposites they were in a lot of ways but they're also both very brutal individuals maybe not right in the head as far as their characters go and what once they turned against each other it was just it was a recipe for disaster, but yeah, I, I agree completely with your point about that. Yeah, we, we, we're conditioned so much to to expect on the dangerous spots to uh, they get teased and teased, but it never actually happened. But they get us with the suspense to the point where where that moment actually happens, it's a it's a gasp, isn't it? Yeah, and they did that a lot with pole drivers, especially like in places like Memphis and that. Uh, that it get teased most of the time, but on a very special occasion. Which is probably think about it, spots that bloody brutal should only be on a special occasion. Where it happens, it just horrifies you, and that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, just, just absolutely shocking stuff in 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 a good way. Yeah. Um. He, he then goes on to um to face David Boy Smith as we we're talking about at Slambury '93. Um, and. I remember watching this and this was the time that I was, I was tape trading. And so, you know, I'd get these in, it, it sounds crazy to say this in, in 2018, but at the time getting uh, the WCW pay-per-views in sort of within a week to 10 days of them occurring was really, really quick. Mm. Um, Cause you didn't necessarily know what the results were as well. Um, and I always remember that match. And, and again, you know, talk about the, the difference between WWF and WCW. And as you said, Liam, that, you know, you didn't have that many jumps. And there was Davey Boy Smith in the same gear that he wore, in the same gimmick that he had in the WWF. And now all of a sudden he's over in WCW. He's wrestling Invaders match. And it's a lot more brutal than anything that, that, you'd ever see in the WWF and Davy boy was surviving. And I was never the biggest Davy boy Smith fan because it was like, you know, the, in the UK, he was the, the popular guy. He, and I, you know, and, and 
again, as the smart-ass team, you'd want to go against any kind of populist movement and be the, the rebel against these things. But when you'd watch the matches that he'd have with Vader, you got this respect for him for surviving the matches, Mike, because, that again, that was the... That was the the portrayal of the match that Vader put across was that this was an absolutely brutal war because the world title was at stake. Yeah, I suppose you could argue that's exactly what John Cena needed a decade ago, and that's what Roman Reigns needs now is a prime Vader kicking the ever loving shit out of them. But then I suppose they have tried that with Brock and Roman, but there's not that thing. And that's the thing, right? As good as Brock Lesnar is as a wrestler, as as much as he has that aura. For me, he'll never touch a Vader because of that. Uh, I, th- I think the, the the passion that Vader had for wrestling was always Ooh. there. Even if you were a bit younger, he was always on the shows. You were invested in him, even if you weren't meta as you know as we'd get as as smart fans later on. There wasn't that yeah. meta thing of knowing that they loved the business, but you kind of got that respect for them because they were there at the time. The, the investments there. Uh, but do, it's, do you know the difference to me the difference between Brock Lesnar now and, and Big Van Vader in 93 with with Brock Lesnar the drama feels contrived with that Big Van Vader in 1993 the drama felt real everything about it felt real he made it feel and look legitimate yeah you, you can tell he had a, a, an active involvement in in what he did uh, obviously, especially seasoned veterans like him who've been all around the world have that ability to tap into the audience they're performing in front of. Whereas, yeah, Brock, Brock Lesnar shows up, picks up a check, leaves. Someone like Dean Ambrose will come across and say, look, if we just if we just come out of our comfort zone a little bit and maybe do a bit more of a brutal match, I've got, you know, considering... Dean Ambrose's background as John Moxley in like CZW and things yeah. like that. There'd have been there'd have been a real intrigue to that, and he was like, "Nah, sounds like a lot of work." So when they had just a completely forgettable match, whereas Vader really tapped into his opponent, his audience, the 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 vibes of the feud, you could say. So yeah, you you, you don't have to be a, a, a grown man who likes to talk about wrestling from the inside, like we do tend to, uh, to know that Vader gave a shit about what he was doing. It just came across to even the most untrained eyes. And that, as you uh, were saying, the word that comes up is the way he envelopes you in, and that's the example. And that came through his entire year that we're covering in 93, and obviously after that as well, but 93 was when he was the man. And I think a great example of that was when the... The Davy Boy Smith, as you said, Davy Boy and Sting were side by side the top guys at that time. And then we had Beach Blast, where Davy yes. and Sting would team up. And now um, a certain Mr. Sid Vicious is back in WCW. So you've got two Monster Hills, and you've got two Virtuous Baby Faces. You've got a big tag team match before, presumably, you have the, the singles versions. And we obviously, we all know that the plan was to have Sid and Vader split up and headline Starcade. So you've got all these plans coming along, but first you've got the tag match. And WCW, and we're called because WCW for a reason, because WCW, they decided to make an absolute can't-miss prospect of two good guys and two Monster Hills into an absolute sideshow, which is where we, we have the, the, the cheat and the evil midget and the, the bomb on the boat. You remember that mini-movie, Dean? 
Oh, the bomb on the boat. Yep. yep. And and again, like I mentioned earlier, these things are these were the sort of things Vader was able to weather on a on a weekly basis because he was that good and he was he was that much of a of an established star to the audience. Yeah, he he basically, as you say, you could t- almost turn a blind eye to it because because the, you knew the match would be good. I mean. The match was okay. I mean, I'm not. I've never been a great fan of of, of of Sid, but of course, the thing that you know, but the the one thing out of everything that people remember for Beach Blast, uh, 1993, is all of a sudden at the end of the match, Vader climbs to the top rope, and you're thinking, what the hell is he doing? And he executes at 400 plus pounds. He executes an absolutely perfect moonsault. And once again, your jaw hits the ground. Uh, Ole Anderson's jaw hit the ground, and apparently he said, "If I wanted someone doing a fucking moonsault, I would have hired a Mexican." But um, yeah, the guy decided I can do a moonsault, so I'm going to do moonsaults now. Yeah, uh, I did enjoy that conversation we had. I think Spring Stampede '94, where he hit one on the boss. Uh, and we talked about the whole aspect of the ultra finishing. Off the top of my head, not many American wrestlers or, or, or any wrestlers competing on the American scene. At that time, there weren't many guys who employed like a, an additional ultra special occasion, extra painful finisher. Where you know, there, were, there was a thing in Japan, which is probably where the idea developed for Vader, but... It wasn't really a thing that someone who had, you know, in, he, in his situation, he's got two moves that if he hits, the audience think, right, that's it, it's over. And he now brings out this one, and I'll have to give it, a, if I haven't already, I'll retweet it off the Because Those Two uh, account later, but someone put together a, a video clip file of all the successful moonsaults that Vader landed that were like, nice. recorded by TV cameras. Oh, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll dig it out. We'll have to have that on the, a retweet on the account. It's brilliant. Check it out. Um, but yeah, including this one you're talking about, because I always remember yeah. Sting just running down and leaping over to to stop that one <laughs> after yeah. it hit. Yeah, something else that um, Philip Goad said on um, on Twitter to us, you know, he said 400 pounds could do legit moonsaults. None of those side spins for Leon, best big man ever. Um, yeah, because uh, Bam Bam Bigelow then started doing a moonsault. Obviously, Bam Bam Bigelow being Vader's old tag partner in New Japan, but Bam Bam always sort of yeah twisted off to the side. Vader went straight straight over backwards. Um, phenomenal. Yeah. Then so, so then we had the um, the the Halloween Havoc match with uh, with with Cactus Jack. Texas Death Match again, another brutal match. Lots of blood, bumps on the ramp. Um, things that would become staples for Cactus Jack in the, that feud with the Nasty Boys the next year, um, and then we had the uh, what what ends up becoming the rather infamous tour, the Halloween Havoc tour of 1993, um, where two members of the touring party, namely Arn Anderson and Sid Vicious, uh, disappeared from the tour after having a fight with Scissors in Blackburn. Um, it did mean that the card had to be rejigged a little, but um, 
yeah, second time I got to see Big, Big Van Vader live was at the Royal Albert Hall where WWF have just had their UK tournament. And the main event was Vader defending the world title against Davey Boy Smith. Um, again, another brutal match. Davey Boy hitting that, that delayed suplex on Vader. Always a sight to behold. The atmosphere was tremendous. One, one great moment that sticks in my mind um, for that show was that, and again, Vader was so intense and he would wrap you up in that atmosphere and how much this was him legitimately getting frustrated and how much of this was him in character, I do not know. But um, I believe after he'd, you know, he'd had a, um, some, some offense blocked by Davey Boy Smith and he, he ends up rolling out of the ring, he uh, then just get, rolls out of the ring gets to his feet, shouts shit at the top of his voice, and then basically with one hand there's this big antique-looking um, table in the Royal Albert Hall with big ornate legs, looking like a pro snooker table sort of legs, and with one hand he flips this table over, and he flips it so hard that it goes completely 360 degrees lands back on its legs and the legs then just collapse under it and this table falls to the floor. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, I saw that with my own eyes. And um, a friend of mine was actually saying, um, David Chand, his name, he was saying to me on Facebook, but he, uh, he met Steve Austin one time and Austin was talking about this tour and he remembered that incident. Um, and he said that basically Vader had to pay for the table to be replaced and he got fined by WCW for breaking Royal Albert Hall equipment. And essentially he ended up working that tour for pretty much free once he'd paid everything. <laughs> and there'll be more tales of uh, tables getting destroyed in, uh, in the next time I see Vader live in 1994. <laughs> So then we, yeah, the, the, the big match he has next, um, we, we touched on it a moment ago, Starcade 93 was originally meant to be Vader v Sid. Sid has now been dismissed from the company. Ric Flair, who's returned to WCW in this time, um, is now challenging for the world title in his hometown of Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah, and, you know, it was a common theme throughout WCW's history is Ric Flair treated like crap and then ends up having to bail the company out but in this case it, oh, it was so good I mean this this was a match that had me in awe the first time I saw it which was a, a little bit after when it actually happened I weren't able to watch a lot of these early especially the pay-per-views I weren't able to watch these like very soon afterwards but I was still very much quite fresh-faced when I was able to to watch it and in, in a lot of ways it's similar to how we were talking about how Sting and David, even David Boy Smith made good foils for the Monster Hill Vader but but Ric Flair oh, there, there, there's something about that match I suppose it's also the emotion as well to, to it happened by by luck it happened in the perfect city for it and I don't know they, they added the whole um, career was on the line stipulation as well for a little yeah. bit a little bit of extra sauce I suppose having to Which replace them. Which I don't think it needed. I suppose they they panicked a little bit in that they just lost the the match that they thought was going to be their money match, just because uh, you know Sid's 
big and he's got a great look. So thinking Sid plus Vader is going to be the ultimate match ever. But in the end, they they lucked out in getting such a good match and a champion who could they could rely on for a little bit after that, and that, that basically held the fort until Hulk Hogan arrived six months later and and admittedly jacked business right up from there. But but that match, the Starcade match, the 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 emotion and the atmosphere was was second to none. What I liked is, is Flair went about opposing Vader a little differently to your typical babyface would, especially in that, you know, we know that Ric Flair is, you know, he's got that long history as being the dirtiest player in the game. He was sly, he would evade a little bit more rather than trying to to conquer the massive mountain. He was, he was sticking and moving. It was, you know, so sometimes it was, it was almost that like he was surviving Vader. It was brilliant. And it was like it was a template that was set for a lot of other may even like you know off the top I think of matches that were a hell of a lot better than they ever should have been. And one that always sat quite well with me was uh, last man standing match at the Royal Rumble between John Cena and Umaga, and the whole thing of Cena just having to evade this this steam train coming at him and that really pulled me in and I think matches like that always work and and, and, and they work because of the template that Flair Vader set. It was it was the archetype in making it work to that degree. Even though we have had like smaller faces versus Monster Hills for a long way before that you'd always have a certain especially in the WF you have a certain degree of cartoonish overcoming all odds but Ric Flair survived that match it was it was like it was it was very Rocky Balboa-esque I suppose you could say yeah that's what I loved about it and the amazing the huge pop when Flair won and you know you think about Flair winning the title in 93 you think about Ron Simmons winning in Atlanta in 92 and what's the common factor that big Van Vader is the heel champion who puts over the baby face in the best way possible yeah, exactly. And, you know, from there it was, you know, for, for, for over the next couple of years, especially when he wrestled Hogan, Vader, Vader remained in and out of the world title pitch, understandably. But as far as being the guy, this, the, you know, it, it, it was calmed down a little bit from there, which is fair enough because no one can be on top forever. Uh, but I always found it interesting that in 1994 when... WCW underwent a lot of changes. Uh, we we mentioned it in that Spring Stampede one where the, the the differences between just before Hogan and then after Hogan arrived are uh, amazing. But for me, Vader was a constant. Uh, for for those who really you know you have to appreciate business wise why WCW needed Hulk Hogan, especially at the start. But but for those of us who really wanted to cling on to what. WCW offered us as an alternative. Vader was one of those last remaining beacons for the two years he was there after he lost the world title to to Ric Flair. He was much needed for some of us, I think. Yeah, he was the the relief from the cartoon antics of of Hogan, and you know it goes back to what we were saying about the difference when when Vader was at his peak between WWF and WCW, and it was like that WWF side of things was coming over to WCW when Hogan arrived but yeah Vader was was keeping it real as such and 
you know, he probably couldn't go as stiff as he'd have liked against Flair. He most certainly couldn't do that against Hogan. Because I, I remember looking forward so much at Super Bowl Five. Oh my God, it's it's Hogan and Vader, and he's going to kick the crap out of him. And obviously, it didn't happen because Hogan wouldn't wouldn't let that happen. But one person that he could uh, wrestle that style of match against was Ray Trailer, known as the boss, then known as the guardian angel. Um, you know, tough guy who was able to, to, to take it. And that was the, um, that was the final time that I saw Vader live actually it was against the, as the guardian angel, as he was called. It was a uh, WCW house show, part of the Hulkamania tour. Um, it, um, at Wembley arena back at Wembley, but with a, a much smaller crowd than, than uh, had been there for um, the British Bulldog, ironically enough. Um, and uh, the M- I always remember the, the MC uh, for this, it wasn't Gary Michael Capetta or Dave Penzer. Um, they had got a British guy in. Um, now, you might know him from uh, boxing, Liam, because um, he's a guy called Mike Goodall who uh, emcees a lot of boxing shows, and he emcees a lot of boxing shows because he uh, owns a ring, and so he's often hired to uh, do the ring for uh, boxing matches, or he he was at the time, and would therefore also wrangle himself an MC job. And for some reason, because WCW, they they brought him in as, um, as the ring announcer. It's time for Vader and the Guardian Angel. Guardian Angel comes out first, I believe, with um, and he has a load of of London Guardian Angels with him because they'd recently launched them in London on the tube and stuff. And um, then Vader comes out with the familiar music and, and whatnot. And uh, I remember I'm I'm at one side of the I'm you know front row at one side of the of the aisle. Across the uh, other side of the aisle, front row is uh, a man later been, to be known as Johnny Storm. Vader comes out, but Mike Goodall decides to somehow or other announce his name as something approximating father. Not sure how that happens, but he just calls him father. Vada, maybe? It, it wasn't even that. It was, yeah, it was, it was an, an F rather than, yeah, but a fa- father, yeah. Some, but had he been but, drinking? Was there any evidence that he'd had a couple? That, uh, not that I was aware of, no. But um, anyway. At the beginning of the match, um, Vader, just before the, I believe before the match even begins, or just as the match begins, Vader hops out the ring, growls at Mike Goodall, and with one one motion just sweeps everything that Goodall's got, his pen, his notes, the bell, everything, off of the table, and just shouts something in unintelligible at him, which probably makes him shit his pants, um, before getting in the ring. And... and um, yeah, that was basically Mike Goodall's comeuppance for uh, not bothering to learn how to pronounce the wrestlers' names right when you're ring announcing at Wembley Arena. Um, <laughs> and we had, yeah, a really good match between Vader and Garden Angel before we then had the, the predictable match between um, between Hogan and Flair. Although at least I got to see a Hogan v. Flair match, I suppose. But but for me, yeah, once he lost that belt and once he, he, he was, after you know, he had the, the, Thunder, the Thunder Cage match with Flair at Super Bowl four. To me, he was never the same again. He'd lost that spark. Yeah, he was going to go down the pecking order for two reasons. First, you know, when someone does have a long reign, as I said, the the cooling off period is going to happen. You know, things are going to rotate around a little bit, which is fair enough. And then before you can get to the point of, right, is it maybe we can do a bit more business with 
the belt back on Vader. We had Hogan here, so the belt being on anyone else was was really out of the question. Uh, and obviously, guys like Randy Savage were soon after, and, that, and that's the way the title went for a long time. Yeah, and once you've got once you got Vader like involving himself with the Dungeon of Doom and stuff, it really that, that's when his stock, for me, in my eyes, you know, his stock starts to fall. Yeah, thankfully before that, as you said, uh, you know, we we said there was something about the match with the boss when we covered Spring Stampede 94 that it felt like they could have delivered more, but it was still very good. That, that was the best way to describe any time they came together. Is You do ask yourself, right, is, should this have been an out-and-out big man dream match? In the end, they were, they were pretty much just very good big man matches. Uh, I always remember him because, you know, especially for for fans who look back and and like guys like you think of Steve Austin in WCW and Steve Austin was was squashed for the US title by Jim Duggan, and yeah. it was Vader who relieved Duggan of that US title and didn't really do much with it. It was I think it was just a a placeholder thing. But to think he he spent a lot of that second half of '94. Basically, I don't know if you remember like reading up on this with the, with Meltz and all that, but Hogan Vader was an unavoidable matter of business. There's no way you can't run that match. It is it is a great pairing. It's gonna do good business. Uh, at least you you think so anyway. And it's even someone like Hogan who might not be a fan of the uh, of the the stiffness Vader can sometimes bring. Yeah, it it has to be done. But there was a because. They were looking at this for Starcade '94, which in the end ends up being Hulk Hogan, Ed Leslie, and I'm gonna try not to mention that until we actually have to, at some point, cover Starcade '94. But as you said, in '95, the time finally came to to have the match. All the politics of how they work together, whether or not they can cooperate without like accidentally hurting each other, or one of them would accidentally hurt the other. I don't think it'd go the other way. <laughs> yeah. And once that was out of the way, they they had a film. Oh, you know, I I enjoyed Hogan Vader, to be honest. And again, it just goes to show that that v- Vader was just a very for any good babyface. And let's face it, as, as tired and as stout Hulk Hogan got, he was a very good babyface. Vader is the perfect foil. So that feud absolutely had to be done, and it. it Delivered what it was gonna deliver, so there was that. And then, and then after, as you brought up the Dungeon of Doom, but um, the interesting thing was, was that it was this was actually what led to what didn't really get a chance in WCW for reasons we'll document in a second. But right towards the end of his time with WCW, Vader turned babyface, which yes. for me now we got more of it in WWE. But until they kind of just jobbed him out after a few months, the prospect of such an intimidating natural heel turning babyface has always intrigued me because the best babyfaces or the best babyface turns maybe, for me, are the the guys that they don't suddenly turn into happy, happy, nice people. Someone's demeanour doesn't change overnight. But what happens is that they turn their their skills, their menace, their their what they bring to the table, and they turn it onto people that the fans like even less. Yes, and and that for me is always a glorious thing. And to and to see him get sick of Ric Flair and Arn Anderson, which is how it initially started, and then they did the thing where 
until we had that incident backstage with Paul Orndorff, it was looking like it was going to be a war games with pretty much a dream team of Hogan, Vader, Sting and Savage. Uh, you know, that, that would have been really cool to be honest. And I'd have liked to have seen, even though there's a certain ceiling for it, because, you know, at all times it has to be Hogan and Friends. For th- for those of us who are invested in guys like Vader, I'd have liked to have seen where Babyface Vader would have gone for a little bit. Yeah, it would have been, it would have been very interesting but, uh, as to how, yeah, how he'd be in the ring. Because as you say, you know, that's the thing I always say to people who go from heel to face, don't change anything that you do except for the people you're doing it to. That's yeah. the only, as say, that's the only difference. Um, so yeah, it was, it was going to be um, Vader joining um, Hogan, Savage and Sting for war games against the Dungeon of Doom. But then obviously uh, as is well documented, he got into a, uh, a locker room brawl with Paul Orndorff um, and was then released from uh, from WCW. He actually made it to the opening credits of Monday Nitro, but never never made it to the show itself. Yeah. Um, and then a few months later, after the old ninety days have expired, he uh, he turns up at the Royal Rumble. He is the the man they call Vader. Um, Vincent one wanted to call him the Mastodon, but that just became a nickname. But um. The the rumble itself was nothing special, but the uh, the following night on on Raw was one of the most memorable things, and I remember absolutely loving it when he basically beat the ever loving crap out of Gorilla Monsoon, um, including the uh, Vader bomb splash, um, and he was suspended to to allow him time off for for shoulder surgery. But um, that was probably one of the most um, impactful debuts I've ever seen in wrestling. Oh, if you compile the list of impactful debuts, I'm pretty sure Vader would take up residency of about five spots on the top ten. <laughs> if you think about it. So he comes to Japan, he destroys Inoki. Unheard of in, in, in like his first match. Comes to WCW, injures the world champion Sting very soon after going full time. And then wins a title a few months later in a title match. Uh, WWE destroys the president, makes an instant impact. And then he goes back to Japan. I believe he almost immediately wins the uh, Triple Crown when he goes back to Japan. So the the, the man, <laughs> people knew how to make a, a big impact using Vader. And he, he always yeah. delivered... And, and let's not forget as well, one thing we haven't mentioned, because this happened in 1993 as well, 93 into 94. Um, he, while he was in WCW, he signed um, a deal with the UWFI in Japan, which was a yes. pseudo promotion. And he won the UWFI world title. So there are your five on the top ten. Yeah. Yeah. Your five big impacts. He's, he's done it all. He, yeah. But yeah, um, we, we know the WWE spell was disappointing by what we knew by this point as big those three fans but what we know he can do it's a little bit disappointing and yet yeah. I always I always thought his I enjoyed overall I enjoyed his time in WWE I'm glad it happened I'd rather take what he had in WWE over nothing at all yeah. uh, he had the, you know he had some big matches and big moments I was always a fan of him versus The Undertaker was always good 
you know, when you can have a pay-per-view where Undertaker Vader is the worst match on the pay-per-view, and yet it's it's still very very good. I'm talking about Canadian Stampede. It's one of the underrated moments. Everyone raves about that five-on-five main event, which was incredible. The the Japanese juniors were amazing. Uh, Vader's buddy, Cactus Jack, Mankind with that great star-making brawl with Triple H. But, um, yeah, don't sleep on that Undertaker-Vader match. They had another great match at the Rumble as well. Their paths crossed more than once. And again, he did. then he had another babyface turn where, you know, I enjoyed his, his Rumbles with the Heart Foundation. And another underappreciated thing was he had, uh, Royal Rumble 98, he had a, a, a really good opening match with... Goldust, who had turned back heel and was being a bit of a freak, and that was one of them times where you think of everything Vader brings to the table as a heel, and then you've got this, you, you you've got a heel in Goldust who's just deliberately, the, the, the end game is he provokes the audience and just tries to put you off and annoy you, and out comes Vader to sweat him like a flyer. It was very gratifying how they did it. When you look at his time in the WWE. WWF as it was at the time. Yeah, there's a number of factors as to why it wasn't as successful as his time in WCW. You've got, obviously, he's older, and those matches he's had in WCW are going to take it out of you, and he's a big guy as well. Um, but also, you know, he, as we said, he took time off for shoulder surgery. That was that angle with Monsoon. That's what that was about. But from interviews he's given afterwards, he said he was he was kind of rushed back, even though he was told to take as much time as he needed. He was rushed back, and so for about a year was working with one arm. He was wrestling, you know, SummerSlam '96. I always remember Shawn Michaels throwing a massive tantrum in the middle of the of the match because something had gone wrong. This was, you know, the the absolute peak of the the click. And so um, they were in. They were, you know had Vincent Mann's ear that he wasn't any good or he wasn't working. You know, he wasn't working how they wanted to work him with, with him, and probably as well that you know he couldn't wrestle that stiff style that we knew from WCW because this was a different company with a different philosophy. Yeah, maybe to that extent it got as good as it was going to get. But yeah, as I said, I certainly appreciate what we did have from him. And then I'd I'd, I'd say after that he's. You know, you, you see, as you say, what he was getting older, he was a little more broken down. But for me, he managed to have that Indian summer in Japan, yes. uh, 99, 2000 ish. He had that one last big run, uh, which again, like for, for me, uh, an interest in Japanese wrestling came probably around that time. I remember the 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 power slam cover of him sat backstage yeah Finn Martin has has shared it since uh, like upon hearing of Vader's passing uh, he's sat backstage three belts on his lap uh, and around this time I just started to track the names and the results and I generally got into it and I've watched matches in retrospect on YouTube from that time and I've really come to appreciate Vader in Japan like since then. So uh, yeah, that, that 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 was a really good. After like the what could have been's of of WWE, it was good that he did have one more run as a as a truly top guy and some yeah. and some great matches with Mizawa. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he won the the triple crown in all Japan, then went over to to pro wrestling Noah when the the big um the big 
navigation over there to use their terminology um won the ghc tag belts with his good friend two cold scorpio the you know fellow colorado natives and even there the, the probably yeah the last mainstream memory is when he um returned to raw for a match uh, with um heath slater uh, when they were doing the gimmick of heath slater taking on various legends you know he he inducted Stan Hansen into the WWE Hall of Fame. But one thing that was mentioned, I think it was my friend, a uh, good friend of mine, Mike White, sports, BBC sports journalist, who brought this up on my Twitter, you know, that he, he never, Vader himself has never made it into the WWE Hall of Fame, which I think is a, a huge oversight. I don't think that's going to remain the case for very long. And if, if anything, as much as it's always nice when some of these guys are able to enter the Hall of Fame and have that whole weekend and and the whole experience, you know, there's, there's usually always at least one uh, induction after death. So, yeah. But at this point, I would be fairly confident that, that could end up next year at the, uh, when WrestleMania takes place at the MetLife. It could well be Vader who gets that, um, that posthumous induction. But, um, yeah, I, I, whatever happens, even if it doesn't happen next year, I don't think it'll be long, honestly. It's, it's, it's only a matter of time. We've seen who've gone in. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a case of health freezing over. So some people you never thought would agree to terms with WWE end up agreeing to it. And for, for me, it, may, it makes Vader an absolute lock. It's going to yeah. happen. It's a well, shame it didn't happen while he was with us, but you know, he's, yeah. he's a cert and he deserves it. Well, I mean, yeah, you let's just his title, the major titles that he won. Um, you know, all, uh, like we said just now, all Japan, he won the, the Triple Crown title twice. He won the World Tag Team title with Steve Williams and the Champion Carnival. In the Catch Wrestling Association over in Germany, he was their World Heavyweight Champion three times. He was the IWGP Heavyweight Champion in New Japan three times. The Tag Champion once with Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, he was both Pro Wrestling Illustrated and the Wrestling Observer's Wrestler of the Year in 1993. Um, you know, so for two polar opposite uh, publications to both say he's a Wrestler of the Year, says something. Pro Wrestling Noah, GHC Tag Champion with Scorpio, as we said. The UWA World Heavyweight Champion in Mexico. UWFI World Heavyweight Champion in Japan. Three-time WCW World Champion. Uh, you know the only, as we said, the only the only thing that he he didn't win anything in the in the WWE, but just a f- a phenomenal phenomenal record for a man who arguably and in my case certainly is the the best big man ever, and for me and in a roundabout way for you because he was the foil for both of us really. Big Van Vader was one of the reasons that we fell in love with WCW. Yeah, I. Like like we said at the top of the show, there there's probably no because WCW without Vader. There are there are several key elements that made us WCW fans, but but he's one of those guys. Without him, it's it the whole production they had is less than where it was for sure. Um, of all the times we've covered a few already, and we've got so many more to cover. Of all the times it it felt like WCW wanted to fail, wanted to implode. Vader was one of the absolute successes. He was something they had that WWE didn't until he ended up getting fired. At the time he was in WCW, he was a he was a WCW entity. He was something 
they had he was he added a whole new dimension it was just it's really hard I think a lot of my contributions this episode are going to come across like this because it really is hard to put into words just how important he was to everything we cherished about WCW and yeah to go back to that original point of mine I'm just really grateful I got to see him live the once yeah in in a whole new context but it was such an incredible time and yeah even then he's still very much larger than life and even even then he was finding the perfect opponents just like he did with the stings and the uh, and the Davy Boy Smiths, and even like, even though it didn't work out at SummerSlam '96, Vader Shawn Michaels was a great contrast, and there you go with Will Ospreay. It's just such a David yeah. Goliath thing, uh, and that's what that's what he brought to the table, no matter where he was, no matter what he was doing. Yeah, but do you know whether whether it was in in 2016 for you or 1993 for me, both of us we got to experience that magic, that magic that is created by a true professional wrestler in a pro wrestling show where he wraps you up and you just suspend your disbelief for that moment because at that moment in time, nothing else matters but the spectacle you're watching. That is the magic of pro wrestling. And Leon Vader White was one of the finest people at making that magic happen. And we want to say thank you to Leon Vader White um, one of the best of all time. Uh, um, we, like we said at the beginning, this, this, we, we, we did this podcast not because we want to jump on a bandwagon, not because we want to get publicity, anything like that, because this felt for us like the right thing to do. Because even though we knew that this day would come, it still hurts. And I guess, you know, this is kind of, it's kind of like a little bit of therapy for both of us. Yeah, it really has been. It's, it's not been the easiest podcast for us to do. Uh, a lot, a lot of the time I find myself repeating myself and struggling to find the words. And, uh, and that is, that, that is the exact situation we find ourselves in. It's just nice to be able to, at least, it, 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 even if someone, only tunes into 10 seconds of this near two hour podcast they'll see that you know that we loved vader and we appreciate what he brought and i really what what i hope going forward in in the future is that you know a, anyone who is making their way through the professional wrestling industry or who has yet to and he's thinking about it who happens to be quite sizable with a big fellow who wants to become a, a wrestling star i hope they watch as much fader as they can and they learn something from him because i would really love for future wrestling fans to to, to feel some of the intensity that we felt coming through that tv screen as we did with Vader, and, and you know, may may maybe someone can find inspiration from Vader, or more than one wrestler can find inspiration from Vader and Bam Bam Bigler and other great men wrestlers, and and replicate that for fans of the future. Excellent words, and um, well, let's leave it there. Just to say, thank you for downloading this. Thank you for listening to the Because WCW. We will be back in the very near future with one of our regular episodes where we'll be looking at another of their pay-per-views from the annals of history. 
but we want to say thank you for the memories. Rest in peace, Liam White. On behalf of my co-host, Liam Happ, this is the Twisted Genius, Dean Ayers, saying thank you for downloading Because WCW. I'll see you ringside.